0: ladies and gentlemen the retro network proudly presents to you the trios tag team champions of the world the masked library kevin hellions sweet maddie treats and the educator of excellence collectively known as the house show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Matty Treats. And I am... You guys don't understand what is going on here. I am sandwiched between two men in their bedrooms, okay? In the boudoir, if you will, the educator of excellence is educating the magic room. Uh educator what, what are you doing over there looks like you you look comfy
1: hello my good sirs hello everybody listening into the show uh had to go for a change of venue having a little bit of internet frequency uh transmission issues so to speak very similar to the satellite issues of the show that we'll talk about that vince mcmahon <laughs> mentions later on tonight uh so ch- change it up just to see how this will work out and uh looking forward to the chatter that this show is going to hopefully uh bring us
0: tonight now, educator, do you change it up often when you're in the bedroom? <laughs> well, as best as we can, sir. As best <laughs> as we can. Well, you know, you know, they do say it's time. So let's. Oh, it's uh, time. It's so time. Let's uh, also check in with the masked uh, library, Kevin Hallians, who is also in a bedroom.
2: No staircase tonight.
0: Woo. Um, no staircase at all no staircase to heaven is that what it's called
2: well we're already here in my bedroom so yeah um
0: so are you guys in the same bedroom
2: i would hope not sadly no
0: (laughs) sadly no sadly no we i mean we have
2: we have been before but you know
0: question for you uh kevin um (laughs) when you're in the bedroom are you always masked
2: uh, like like uh, a sleep mask? Are you implying I have some sort of sleep apnea? Are you? Uh, I'm not saying anything. Or are you implying more of uh, a sunny OnlyFans kind of scenario?
0: Hey, let's not bring her up. She's had a bad week. I do
2: try to go to bed like a luchador. Do
0: you guys hear that? That was the train wreck that is known as Tammy Sitch in the background. <laughs> oh, no. I gotta add train noise in. That'll be fun. Not, <laughs> so. the, not the first train so, uh, geez <laughs> louise, and we're off the rails. Um, another train record. Uh So, guys, I have a confession to make. I am back at work now. Oh. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's impeding on my retro time. Um, here's the thing that work did to me, though, is instead of going to my normal place of work, which is two minutes from my uh, apartment here, I have to drive an hour and 20 minutes to a different place to work in there.
1: Sounds I was,
2: fun, man. I, I was going to say, if you had to drive an hour and 20 minutes to go to where you were working, it'd be like an Amazon delivery. Let's, let's go to five different towns around you before we deliver your product to your actual house. You're checking the oh, fricking. Oh,
0: I think I, I think I understand you.
2: There wasn't much of one.
0: Now, educator, should I put crickets in for that uh, one? I would think so, yeah. okay yeah so we put crickets in we decided at this moment so uh yeah so I've, i've actually changed locations i'm working in a completely different town driving three hours a day not fun but it is great uh being accompanied by the retro network and their great podcasts every day so uh Another reason to subscribe to the mega feed, get all that good, juicy content. And speaking of juicy content, the boys are in the bedroom and we're watching In Your House 12. It's time. It's time. Um, what a great pay-per-view this was, well, huh? No, well, not okay. at all. So uh, We're located in West Palm Beach, Florida at the West Palm Beach Auditorium. The date, December 15th, 1996. There is five thousand seven hundred and eight people in attendance, and boy, it was it me or did the arena really look small when they do the wide shot?
1: Yeah, it, it looked very very tiny. It looked smaller than uh, the Syracuse first original in your house show, and and by far I felt that was probably one of the tinier venues that we've we've covered so far.
2: For me, I was watching it and you see it's only 5,000 people and, you know, you look at the area and everything. Like, why would you have a building this size shaped this way for this limited capacity? Like, it doesn't hurt that the building has so much empty space that it just even full, it's going to look empty, you know?
0: Yeah, it just, it was jarring to me, especially when we've, they've been building and building and getting into bigger arenas, it seems like, especially when they go to Canada and they're pulling in 14,000, 12,000, right. you know, uh, people to, to come down to this size. It just, it just looked bad. Um, we are greeted by the opening video package, uh, and we are presented by karate fighters. <laughs> All right, let's go baby. Uh, karate fighters, uh, double dipping and they get right to action. Uh, with two guys making their well leaf cassidy came out and got destroyed uh, a house show ago but leaf cassidy versus flash funk with the funkettes is our first match uh, of course the commentary team of jr vincent king they've kind of settled in uh, to that they're not changing it up anymore so uh, why don't we get right to it what did you guys think of this first match in the uh, I think it was the second match Flash Funk has been in, in the company, it seems like. Yeah,
1: Jim Ross made mention of the fact that this was uh, his supposed singles debut. Uh, he had originally debuted at Survivor Series, being a part of that four-on-four wildcard-ish extravaganza and so on. Uh, Leaf Cassidy is by no means a stranger to In Your House. Uh, we're familiar with him being the tag team partner of Marty Jannetty from the New Rockers. Uh, however, that team has now, I believe at this point, disbanded. And now we are looking at a potential singles run here for Al Snow. And the Leaf Cassidy presentation that we see, truly, it, he came off more as the Al Snow character. He's no longer doing the goofy rock star, even though he still got the, the new rocker singlet on. Um, he, he looked like the Al Snow that we... Wwf fans are probably more familiar with in his 1999 2000 run. Um, This is actually this match is interesting in that if it's a precursor to uh, you know a stable that both Al Snow and Flash Funk were a part of together because they were a part of that Job Squad stable where Flash Funk reprised his old role as being Scorpio or Too Cold Scorpio and so on. Um, Interesting match, certainly trying to get the WWF. Uh, fans on note with uh, this new character who was recently brought in from Paul Heyman's ECW. Um, I- I'm interested, Hellions, on your take on the whole flash funk, the wardrobe, the attire, uh, a very different presentation than what we're used to seeing. Too cold Scorpio and what he used to wear in ECW,
2: absolutely. And it's this is a, a jarring example of how we're so close to the attitude era starting. And being more of a mature product, but we still have the cartoon right. and toy gimmicks showing up a lot. Uh, there's, oh God. So, all right. First of all, as they're coming out, I just want to say I don't know if because I was a kid, I was more worried about Sunny and Sable and Marlene and whatever else. But what I did not expect and do not remember the Funkettes are stunning. Like, I, I, I think I was so mad on Two Cold Scorpio becoming Flash Funk that there's a lot of this gimmick I just push aside and ignored and was like, this is stupid. But knowing what it is now and seeing them come out, I was like, wow, where these girls come from? I'll remember them. Holy cow. You know, we got to increase our six best things in WWE list. Yeah, apparently we're almost getting (laughs) to a
1: full dozen here.
0: (laughs) Kevin, just to to kind of interject real quick, one thing I, I did notice. Um, about that one is the choreographed dancing was terrible they weren't on time okay that's number one
2: I agree and number two and, and
0: number two is the announcers laid out and didn't say a word during the entrance while he was dancing the entire time um and then when flash funk walked around the ring of course we got uh vintage uh vince mcmahon dancing at the announce table
2: he, he loves to dance going back to his, his slammy award-winning stand back performance Uh, I think my big thing about this match, and they're they're both great wrestlers. They really are. We've seen really good stuff out of both of them, but neither from the gimmicks they're in in this match. Right. Now, what I was thinking watching it is it may have been more interesting if we flipped characters. Not just flip heel and face, but flip characters. And I don't mean to have Leaf Cassidy come out Dressed like Flash Funk is. But to have Leaf Cassidy come out as dancing, showman, goofy, maybe think of it like an Osmonds thing, or like a teen heartthrob idea, and have Flash Funk come out as bitter and angry, and have just a complete switch, I think he would have had a better match and better characters, too. Like, I else Snow's a goof. I think him coming out with dancers and being silly and all, like the Flash Funk gimmick, could have been a blast. Two cold scorpio always been better with a little bit of an edge a little you know attitude to him right and, and and the way it's here it's just not working it's a shame
1: right the physical presentation of the match i i i actually i dug it even though i was struggling with the characters and who they were trying to portray uh, unfortunately, that we had a botch at the start near near the start of the match, where Flash Funk's uh, foot slips off of the rope doing a, a second rope cross body, where essentially he slipped and fell down, and then he jumped back up on the rope again in order to uh, attempt the actual maneuver. But he jumped so high up into the air instead of doing a cross body on Leaf Cassidy's chest, he practically landed on his back and almost gave himself like his uh, Samoan drop. It was just really interesting love um, love some of the moves that from uh, leaf Cassidy the double headbutt into the sternum of flash funk and then he did like a belly-to-belly throw over the top rope through flash funk over the top rope through a belly-to-belly throw onto the floor um, Cassidy hits that somersault plancha over the top rope to follow uh, we see Ke- Leaf Cassidy you know bringing the action back into the ring He goes for a second rope moonsault and ends up missing that particular maneuver. Um, We see Flash Funk hitting Cassidy, uh, throw Cassidy over the ring, and then he just basically runs and does almost like a spring dive headfirst over the top rope like a crossbody splash. We see an amazing sky-high moonsault uh by flash funk near the end of the match and got a very close almost a three count we certainly hear vince mcmahon one two three like as if he got them uh the finish to the match we see flash funk hitting one of his most notable maneuvers his 450 splash uh unfortunately just the body position of leaf cassidy he was too close to the turnbuckle so rather than you know uh flash funk's waist or chest hitting uh the body it was more of his thighs and his knees that ended up hitting flash funk but or ended up hitting leaf cassidy but in the end um it was i thought it was a great show opener although the characters they're you know still trying to figure out who these individuals are flash funk being new to the wwf audience leaf cassidy now doing a second iteration of who he's supposed to be um mcmahon definitely during the replay popped hard for that 450 splash um unfortunately i don't know if you gentlemen caught it on that jim ross referred to it actually as a shooting star which sure. i think he's he's definitely confusing that with mark marrow's wild thing version of the shooting star press but overall i thought it was a, a decent starter definite great opener for uh the pay-per-view
2: well um to This isn't defending JR. because for his position, he should know. I would say a a casual person in the room, someone, you know, okay, I'll go with my friends or family members to the show, would not be able to see the difference between a 450 and a shooting star because they don't know enough. Now, the example I'll give for stuff like this for non-wrestling fans, um, my mom loves figure skating, watches it all the time looks forward to the Olympics, the national championship, stuff like that. So when I was younger, you know, I'm in the room too. So I'm seeing a lot of it as well, they would say, Oh, that's a, a, a Lutz. That's a sow cow. That's a, you know, um, they would say the, the moves that the figure skaters did. And I'm like, they got up and spun like uh, they spun around. Uh, nothing looked different, but the more I saw it, the more I'm like, Oh, That's different because how their toes are. That's different because it's left leg versus right leg. That's different because how they landed. Like you saw the differences. JR, of course, should not make that mistake. This is a job to know the moves. But I could see, like, you know, for for people watching, a lot of these moves are probably going to look the same. And the more you watch, you'll know it like we know it. And we can spot the differences and call the different moves, you know, for what they are here. Um, Leaf Cassidy looked more impressive than Flash Funk who should have been the one to look impressive as he's the debuting character. Right. So leave El uh, Snow here. I almost wonder if it's one of those things of, look, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to make my opponent look good. I'll take the loss. But I'm going to also make sure you remember I was out there.
1: Absolutely. Make, making the most of his minutes and getting a few few of his stuff in. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Now, two of our, uh, our, our I guess I'll call them production uh, tangents that we go on. Uh, The angle of the ring where the steps are where the spots take place and there's wires on the ground. This is a very different setup than we're used to for some reason. I don't know if it's because of where the entrance ramp is or, or what but once you notice it I couldn't help noticing it and how everything is kind of redesigned to take place over there. Even the other side of the ring where the announcers are seems like less floor space than usual. And then is this our first appearance of a super fan on an In Your House pay-per-view? Because Tie-Dye Guy's there.
1: I, I saw Tie-Dye Guy as well. Yep, absolutely.
0: No, it's not, Kevin, because uh, we had the neon couple holding up oh, the Shawn the Michaels click sign. Oh, oh, that's... And they're at this pay-per-view as well.
1: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yep. But, I mean, the
2: the Philadelphia one, we know the main ones that were always front row VCW, but you would see them front row of many other events in philadelphia area you would see um uh white zombie guy rob zombie guy whatever his name is straw hat guy the guy next to him that i always thought looked like fred goldman with the mustache i right. guess was uh, his brother right um we haven't seen vlad yet the one that's in the uh the um sleeveless shirt muscle right. shirt whatever uh, and I, I don't know why it's always enjoyable to me. I think the ones now is a uh, red hat guy, but he hasn't been seen in a while, even before no fans Corona era. Um, Brock Lesnar fan is at a lot of shows always wearing that same shirt. And uh, Undertaker losing the streak fan has shown up a few times, too.
0: Right. You know, what's funny about the super fans is when I went to Mania, the amount of people that take photos with them at the at the events.
2: I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put them ahead of a wrestler. I don't want them to have their own gimmick table. But if I'm walking through and I walk past you, sure, let's take a picture together. Right.
0: Now, Mass Library, how upset are you that I did not get a photo with Noel and Frank the Clown?
2: Um, I'm, I'm upset for one and couldn't care less about the other. Yeah.
0: You're a big Frank the Clown guy. So.
2: I'm, I'm big on clowns. <laughs> did a few.
0: Another thing too I noticed is is there's a woman in the front row with a bouquet of flowers. Yes. Yeah, and, I saw and that there's too. There's
2: no payoff to it.
0: I'm not sure what that was or why she had flowers or if she was like one of the wrestlers' girls at the time or anything like that. I just thought that was kind of like just stuff like that sticks out. It really does.
2: But I, I was expecting like Shawn Michaels to come out and he and he's given flowers. Like, I really thought something like that was happening, and we saw it get planted. But there's there's nothing. There's no payoff for why she has Uh
0: So we followed that matchup with a, uh, a Royal Rumble taking place at the Alamo Dome uh, in 1997. I thought this was a very interesting uh, kind of commercial, because it made no sense, because... <laughs> It turns out they're pumping the VHS that's out in March, even though the pay-per-view hasn't taken place.
1: Yeah, it's a weird edit where they're kind of both doing, you know, a commercial for the live show, but also a future Coliseum video or WWF video release for the show that hasn't happened yet.
2: Now, could this be like a live-to-tape situation where let's put the commercials in where they would go, let's put the edits in when we're doing it live, so then when we do a VHS tape... We only have we don't have to do any edits. So this could be hey when this in your house pay per is released on VHS we already have the Rumble VHS commercial worked in here.
0: Right, so we that don't have to
2: do any editing to the show.
0: That could very well be it. It just yeah just it sticks out like a sore thumb when you're watching when you're watching it. So we follow up that Rumble commercial with fake Razor and fake Diesel taking on uh Bulldog and Owen with of course uh, Mason Clarence, right. Clarence Mason. Mason. Clarence yeah. Mason. Yeah, is that who it is? Still, he's still around in ninety late late ninety six, early ninety seven. Huh? Oh yeah, um, yeah. So we follow that up with that tag match. Your boy Fake Diesel getting his shine on. Oh man. Um, what? So Educator lead us off as the number one Fake Diesel fan, not Fake Razor fan fake diesel fan. Uh, what did you, what did you think of the match? Oh, come on now. We, we talk about, and we th- remember the many faces of
1: Foley, but Hey, the many faces of Glenn Jacobs in this case, reprising the, the diesel character. Um, unfortunately I thought there was from the ring action itself, this whole match, there's just way too many extraneous things going on that end up taken away from this match. You've got the storyline of bulldog, And Steve Austin going on. We've got uh, Jim Ross still kind of like a heelish tweener on commentary trying to put over uh, these two athletes um, and at sometimes being frustrated and almost yelling as if he was their manager at ringside. Hey, you got to cover him. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then for whatever reason, we're also debuting new talent in the you know talent exchange from the triple a promotion. We got both cybernetico and Peroth, uh who are just suddenly appear at ringside and in the aisle way. And they're, they're talked about during the match as well. So um, like I said, for the, the physical match itself, the only thing that I appreciated at the very, very end was the, the finish to the match. Um when, Bulldog and Owen won the title belts from the Smoking Guns. That the there was just a weird finish when Bulldog hit the power slam on Bart Gunn, and when Billy Gunn tried to do that save. Instead of doing the save of, of going after uh, the pinfall in the middle of the ring, he ends up running sideways only to get that reverse leg kick from Owen Hart, that twisting leg kick. It, it was just the timing on that was off. And then even in the last pay-per-view that we just went over regarding the, the rematch, some of the timing between them was off. Um, at the very, very end of the match, um, Owen Hart hitting and Enzo onto Diesel to get the hot tag on the Bulldog. I thought that you know the crowd was really getting into that. Um, there was a great save by Owen hitting that reverse. Uh, kick on Razor when Razor was setting up the Bulldog to do that, the, his, you know, outsider, oh, the Razor's edge. And Bulldog did, like, the jackknife roll-up and got the one two three pin for the victory. Uh, post-match, again, Austin doing the run-in and doing the chop block to the back of Bulldog's knee. Um, we're starting to lay the groundwork for what eventually is going to be Uh, not just a, a Bret Hart versus Steve Austin feud, which they had their singles match at Survivor Series, but now this is starting to become globally a whole Austin versus Bulldog Owen, eventually Bret Hart. And we're, we're slowly laying the seeds for, you know, four or five months down the road for the Hart Foundation. So, um, like I said, the, the match itself, um, could have been, I think, a a lot better if there was a lot of the extraneous stuff pulled out. But overall, I felt it was a a good showing for uh, the Glenn Jacobs character. Uh, Not a very good showing for the fake Diesel. I'm sorry, for the fake. I misspoke. We're going to have to edit this out. Don't
0: wait. wait. We got it on tape. We got it on tape. We got it on tape. Oh, (laughs) come on. All right, so
1: certainly a uh... you heard it here,
0: Glenn Jacobs' uh, least favorite fan. Come oh on, I don't know what. The... Uh, certainly, I can't believe you doing your boy dirty oh, like oh, that. Oh, no. uh, so uh let me try to uh, cut doing it back. dirty in the bedroom doing with Glenn
1: Jacobs. Comes... How <laughs> dare you? So certainly, uh, I-, I thought it was a good showing for. Uh, Uh, The Diesel character for Glenn Jacobs, unfortunately, not so much for uh, the fake Razor. His time is very, very limited. In fact, the following pay-per-view, his Royal Rumble appearance, Rick Bogner portraying the Razor character is going to be very, very short-lived, and he'll be on his way out of the company. It's
2: God, You're right. This is an overbooked match. Usually, you have a completely overbooked card. This is just an overbooked match, getting everything in here. One of the issues I have is... Um, quote, you know, air quotes here Diesel and Razor are wrestling Kevin Nash and Scott Hall styles. Like, Glenn Jacobs is not wrestling as Glenn Jacobs or as Kane or, you know, Isaac Gankum or whatever here. He's wrestling like Kevin Nash wrestled. And so I got to imagine Razor there, Big Titan, is doing the same. And I would be curious what the two would have been like if they were allowed to wrestle their own style, their own way of a match, if they could have made it better, you know, uh, uh, seem like a more cohesive team, something. You also see, like you're mentioning with the Hart family, the long-term booking that we don't get as much now. Because this is clear, what's Mania, and I'm kind of saying that, you know, it sounds like there are different plans for Mania 13 than Brett and Austin, but we know where we're going with the Brett Hart character okay, let's work backwards. What else do we need? Well, we need Owen and Bulldog to be here too. Okay, how, what do we have to do to get them there? Like you can see the back planning of here's our goal. Now, how do we get everyone there? And certain other people kind of fall aside that aren't as important as we go along. You also see long-term booking with them referring back to what happened on Superstars, which Superstars is all taped like a bunch in a row and then aired ahead of time. So it, you know our situation now where on Monday on Raw, if something goes wrong and you want to change it Friday on SmackDown for pay-per-view on Sunday, you could. But they couldn't say, oh, hey, we've changed course. No, you have all these episodes of Superstars tape that aren't going to line up with your greater storyline. I was also a little confused because it's always, it it was this pay-per-view and the last one, they're like earlier today on Sunday morning Superstars. Maybe it's because it was syndicated and dependent on where you live, but Superstars was always Saturday afternoon for me. Like it was always on like around 11 or noon on a Saturday.
1: Right. Same here.
2: Yep. Wrestling challenge was, which was really a nothing syndicated show. Nothing important ever happened on wrestling challenge. It was the Sunday show
1: and all American wrestling as well. Sunday as well.
2: Yep. Um, Glenn Jacobs as diesel is honestly, I think bigger than ever in his career. He's absolutely jacked out here. Right. Like more so than he's ever looked as Kane. I think. Uh, like you're saying, Cyberneticone and Peroth show up. It doesn't amount to anything. Even the Rumble stuff, it doesn't amount to anything. WWE is seeing a lot of attention going to WCW's cruiserweight division and is trying to do something of their own. They have this working relationship. They tried the Super Astros show, which I looked and does not appear to be on WWE Network at all. But it also makes me wonder, like, these these uh promotions in mexico were not their competition at the time promotions in japan were not either wcw is your competition ecw have a working relationship with like why not do more partnerships and wcw did a lot a lot of partnerships with mexico and japan over the years wwe always had like these quick little attempts but nothing that really went anywhere and it could have been a great way to to show more talent and just make more money But I think it's the, we need to control everything in house, you know, and also our guys need to look stronger. Just look at when they bought out WCW, it's no longer competition. These wrestlers are under contract to you, but yet you still have to bury them. So they said, um, they've been watching video of their opponents. Now I meant to tweet it out and see if I got any traction from any wrestlers but we, we've talked to a few indie wrestlers. And we've met some and all. And we've seen plenty of you know behind the scenes and everything. I've never once seen a wrestler watch video of another wrestler <laughs> to know how to work the match. I understand what they're going for. I know in the in the professional sports, which I, I do not watch, but uh, Treats maybe could jump in. I know in the professional sports, you do watch tape of other teams and see how they do certain things to prepare for it. Or you know illegally record them or whatever.
0: You you scout them. Yes, scout them. Yes. there we go. It's a big thing in the UFC as well because you want to learn your opponent's tendencies. Um, that's why. That's also too, Kevin. Why a lot of times the announcers, when uh, someone's on the attack and they miss a move, they'll say, "Well, scouted," because that means they've been watching tape on that person and they know what moves coming next. And you kind of train your body uh, instinctually to uh, defend it.
2: And, and i know it's part of the sh- the the illusion of wrestling and you know pretending it's not all scripted like i know it is it's just one of those lines that always sticks out to me uh, co- second question for you gentlemen and this is in regards to glenn jacobs how close can you be to being seven foot feet tall without actually being seven feet tall and you can call yourself seven feet tall six eleven six ten like where's the cutoff before it's like no you're not seven feet tall
1: you're talking about case and whatnot i would say about six nine because because taker was uh six they build him originally at six ten and a half um and he was like a legit six eight six nine so
0: plus if you have a couple inches and lift yeah boot
1: right true true
0: and i mean like it's it's
2: rare that it comes up that it's an issue or challenge Honestly, I think the only one where it's like, that guy's not as tall as you have pretended he is, is when Andre and Hogan face off at WrestleMania
1: 3. And you're like, he should be a lot taller. And I think a lot of it, though, with Andre is the fact that, yeah, he probably was legit 7'2", 7'3", in his youngest days, in his prime. But as he got older and his body started to break down due to the acromegaly complications, oh, he, by by WrestleMania 3 and them doing that stare down, I mean, Hogan is probably in his prime in terms of physical body condition and Andre is just on his way down.
0: Yeah, it's also, too, like how Kurt Angle has gotten shorter over the years because of his knees.
1: Yeah, the way he slouches, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, One thing, too, Kevin, I always thought was interesting about size is the one person that sticks out now, like a sore thumb— is if you watch that AEW pay-per-view uh you know double or nothing is how big Billy, Billy Gunn is compared to everyone Huge. else it's almost and it to me it's almost damaging to your product to have someone that big right on your why why book him in the match if he's going to make everyone look so small and he's not a regular guy or like a huge name that's going to draw. I I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me.
2: and, And as much as WWE has always been the land of the giants, when everyone's big, you need to be super big to look bigger than them. Right. So Andre has to be ridiculously big. Undertaker has to be ridiculously big or even your, your muscles because we've seen guys that look average on TV, but you see them in real life, and you're like, oh, you're huge. But TV doesn't show just how big they are. But All Elite, and it's nothing against any of them by any means. But you have so many smaller indie wrestlers which are, who are great at wrestling, but they're not bodybuilders. And they weren't you know, born to be over a certain height either. Billy Gunn bodybuilds. That's why he's not in WWE anymore, and is in AEW, because he got in trouble. But, uh, you know, uh, you look at the other guys, and they're wrestlers first, and they're training to do that, but they're not training to get the mass on them. Even if someone might be the same height as Billy Gunn, they're not training in the same way. Like, Brody Lee's a very tall man, but he's not training to be a bodybuilder. He's never going to have that bulk to him. With, with the, these two tag teams both being heels, it's interesting how the crowd disliked this fake D-Zone Razor angle so much that they are firmly going to play the heels in this match. Right, And Owen and Bulldog will have the face roll for right.
1: It. And this is the third pay-per-view in a row now that they've done a heel versus heel for the tag titles between the first two Bulldog versus and Owen versus the Smoking Guns, and now this as well for the tag team titles. And we're not even doing the Boo
2: Us in US and Cheer Us Everywhere Else angle yet.
1: Right. So it,
2: they're just flat out in this role. And then, like, I don't remember the angle going so long that starts here. Um, when Austin takes Bulldog and Owen kind of looks, JR's teasing, like, what took Owen so long to come to his partner's defense.
1: Right, is there going to be look. dissension, Right. Yep, I
2: remember Bret Hart coming out the the unification of all of them. That's such a great angle that takes place on a on a later raw the next year, but I don't remember the build up going on for so
0: long. So we move on to the AOL room with NOD, The Nation of Domination, uh Crush, a PG thirteen, the boys, uh was there Wolfie D and uh Icy Ice, what were their names? J C Ice and Wolfie D. J- Jamie, Jamie
2: Dundee, and I can't
0: remember. And Farouk. Of course, this leads to the exchange of Farouk versus Ahmed. Uh, what did you guys think of this uh, promo? I always think it's interesting when they're doing a promo in the middle of the ring during a pay-per-view.
1: Well, I certainly am very appreciative of the typical late 80s, early 90s gear that uh, Ahmed Johnson had, his tracksuit with the, uh, the big fanny pack um unfortunately just the the incoherent thoughts that were rattled off by ahmed johnson it was just hard to follow the promo luckily we have the nation of domination entrance music here to kind of tie everything together um you know ahmed's injury the the whole kidney issue apparently it caused him uh his he lost his girlfriend he lost his car he lost his house because of this injury I'm not sure why, but unfortunately that's just the direction the Ahmed Johnson character was uh, going for. Um, I just cringed at the idea of uh, the the exchange that both Ahmed and Farouk had that Ahmed's going to create. What was it? Uh, He's going to create a whole new... uh, race of people because Ahmed is the reason why his people are behind 50 years. I I don't understand how like that would be even acceptable to get away with in any era, let alone 1996. So it it was just uh, the direction of what the Nation of Domination was trying to be. I just was it was just too much for what it was for that time, and I was just very uncomfortable listening to this promo. Um, them throwing barbs back and forth, getting ready for the the Royal Rumble match in 1997. Um, you know it did what it, it was intended to do, but for me it just wasn't my thing it wasn't very I wasn't too interested in the exchange.
2: There is absolutely nothing wrong. With either man coming out and saying, "I'm a strong black man. I'm proud of it. I'm an amazing wrestler. I'm not I you know, Fruke, I'd agree with Ahmed not so much for being an amazing wrestler, right. And just pump each other up. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with Fruk having a faction. There is something wrong with Ahmed Johnson's promo. is he just I, I don't know if he's nervous or what, but it's like he's Stumbling over his own words. Uh, Farouk has a better promo just because I can make out what he's saying. Right. You know. Um, but WWF, WWE. There's times where they say, oh, let's make an angle off of this. And it doesn't go well. And I'd say th- this is one of them. Like, w- this is not an area you need to retread or go over or do your spin on. And my best example is when Vince McMahon finally, I guess was on some corporate flight or whatever, they put in Pirates of the Caribbean years after the movie came out, he finally watched and said, that's what we need. We need a pirate. And next week Paul Birchell is a pirate, right and coming out there. So just so out of touch. It's just crazy. Did he finally watch like the Malcolm X movie and thought we need to do this? Did he read an X Men comic and wanted to do Xavier versus Magneto in a WWF version?
0: Um, how how much is it, bro, bro, bro? Not Matt Riddle, Russo. How much is Russo's hands on this?
2: Oh, I could see that. I could probably. Seem, I could see him saying, "We need to be controversial. We need to do like a Louis Farrakhan gimmick." I'm from New York. Trust me, this is what people are talking about. We'll we'll get fans all over it, we'll get national attention. It's okay for me to say stuff like that because I'm in New York. Like I, I can I can cut a Russo promo and reasons because he does the same thing every time he's confronted for it. It's also now speaking of what you know what was someone watching that could do this, you know, come up with this angle, nation domination is spin off of nation of Islam. It, it's taken that angle yet we have PG13 Crush, Savio later, Owen Hart later. It seems to me like a I discovered this while I was in prison and maybe someone on the writing staff was watching the HBO drama Oz and said, "Let's throw people in there that've converted," which is why like Crush has that weird prison tattoo face paint thing going on on, on him. And to just throw random people in here, it, it's, it's like, Oh, I, I saw something and I have this great idea. And then I telephone gamed any actual relevance away from it before it made air. I think Farouk was probably happier doing this than the stupid Roman Spartan gimmick.
1: Right. That gladiator gimmick. It without a doubt.
2: It, 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 the whole thing, it really falls flat right now.
0: Yeah. Some stuff as we get to the attitude error, probably is not going to age too well. So so, we'll, we'll, you know, it's just it is what it is. So, um, we got a Triple H, Mark Merrow, and Sable video, kind of going through that whole angle. Uh, really well done, I thought the video package uh, leading up to the Mark Marrow versus Triple H match. Uh, educator, what do you think of this match? Uh, and let me just let me just say real quick, I totally didn't recognize triple H's entrance music. When I heard it. I'm just so used to the guitar and the heavy metal. This was something completely different.
1: This was his second iteration of his character. He's getting away from that Connecticut blue blood. Uh, you know, I'm like a horseback polo character. I mean that, I mean to me, that's what it looked like. His gear was when he, during his first iteration. Um, the, the video package leading into this, the whole – the start of it with what was like an Enya music video vibe to it. It was crazy. But it showed a great history showing the whole idea with uh, Mark Marrow being Intercontinental Champion, being befriended by Mr. Perfect, and then the whole swerve that ended up happening, and then then – Mr. Perfect's just now completely gone off the TV and these guys are now just feuding with one another for that intercontinental title that changed hands a few weeks prior. Uh, Sable coming to the ring. She's not doing the evening gown, uh, get up. She's kind of back to that latex ish body suit, black latex suit. Um, we hear McMahon making comments and I'm wondering if they're concerned that it was going to be another in your house, beware of dog that there were issues with the satellite transmission and they were having difficulty uh, with uh, the transmission of the pay-per-view. So, you know, we're asking the fans to kind of hold on and stay tight as they're working on things. Um, The match itself, I thought it was an okay back and forth match at the very, very beginning Um, was impressed with the top rope Frankensteiner, the top rope on a that Mero did on the Triple H. Uh, I, I, I love the subtleties of uh, the heel ma- heelish maneuvers. Triple H to avoid getting hit by Mero, who is going to jump off the top rope. He pushes the referee into the ropes that causes Mero to fall down uh, and almost crotch himself onto the rope itself. Um, Marrow slingshotting Triple H into the corner, uh, turnbuckle and almost posts him. I thought that was impressive. Uh, Mark Marrow doing that Marrow salt where he climbs up to the top rope and then does a 180 twist around and then does that backflip moonsault. That I was always impressed with that maneuver whenever he hit that. Um, the whole Triple H ducking a clothesline attempt by Marrow and Marrow hit the ref. The timing on that was great, I felt. Um, uh, the run in at the end and with gold dust and the idea that apparently during the free for all, there was an interaction and exchange between triple H and Marlena, maybe triple H was propositioning her to be the next, you know, escort to ringside, but triple H is kind of getting away from that particular type of character not necessarily having a girl by his side. We'll eventually see a new girl debuting, I believe at the next show that we'll be discussing. Uh, Final four uh, with the China character, but um, there must, there was an exchange that was alluded to. And then all of a sudden we see gold dust as a mechanism of revenge for whatever interaction that triple H and Marlena had earlier in the night. He comes down to the ring and the referees out cold and he ends up grabbing the intercontinental title that was brought into the ring to be used as a weapon. He goes to swing at Triple H to hit him with the Intercontinental title, but Triple H ducks, and Goldust inadvertently hits Mark Merrow, knocks him down, but then proceeds to turn around and still uh, do a second swipe and hit Triple H. I honestly thought, and I couldn't remember what the outcome of this match was. I thought this was going to end up leading to a double count-out finish, but Mark Marrow ends up creeping right back into the ring right as the referee got to that 10 count and ended up winning the match by... Uh count out post-match melee where Marrow drags Triple H back into the ring and ends up hitting his wild thing, shooting star press maneuver. Uh always, always impressed with the height that Mark Marrow would jump to get that wild thing, shooting star press. But when you guys watch him hit, you can you can see why he blew out his knee and tore his ACL. His knees just slam into that mat, and then he just whole body just bounces. Um, and then in the second post-match melee with Goldust as Triple H is kind of being carried out after being declared still Intercontinental Champion uh, because he lost by countout. And we see Goldust attacking Triple H, so we're kind of setting up for the next feud uh, as this one, unfortunately, has run its course. And I think it's very soon after this, Mark Merrow ends up getting an injury and blows out his ACL, and we don't see him for a while, so overall decent match for what it was count out finish i guess to try to still show both guys being strong uh but the whole point was to just advance another angle rather than to culminate and finish an existing one which i felt that there was just so still too many loose ends with the whole mr perfect deal and that never followed through with and just weird to uh let's go back to the original
2: promo um you said Enya. i was gonna say enigma but same idea for the yeah, weird yeah. atmospheric music. He's yeah. also Triple H now. is not Hunter here promptly. Yeah,
1: yeah they're so referring to him as Triple H. Yeah.
2: So. Uh, in between the promo and the match, we also have the biggest cameo of the evening, the Karate Fighters Blimp, <laughs> going through the arena.
1: Just waiting for the- that thing to do a nosedive and just crash <laughs> midway in the show into the crowd.
2: I, I wrote down that um, Mark Marrow on the ropes, flip, change position, then backflip. Uh, just to be able to hit that on the ropes is impressive. Even if no one's underneath, even just the, the flip of position before he's actually flipped his body off right. is impressive enough. Um, Triple H, uh, to, to go back to the, the studying tapes joke, is so very obviously influenced by Ric Flair. There are Without so analysis. many flare echoes in his heel work here. And I don't know if it's, you know, now that he's been punished for years after the curtain call, that he was allowed to show his true uh, talent. But he, he's really coming into his own, and we're seeing what Triple H becomes here. Uh, the count-out was weird. Uh, the reaction was weird. It was like Mero went for a pinfall again in the post-match uh, shooting star press there. Sable seem confused. The fans seem confused. It's all very weird for them. Right. But what I did like with Goldust coming out, and I know the Goldust is tied into Triple H and Marlene and stuff, but he does attack Marrow as well. You're getting three good talents fighting over the Intercontinental title, which makes right. it seem valuable and wanted. Right. The more people you got going after title, the more prestige it gives it. I think the best example right now and it's just starting, as we're recording this, is seeing Cody Rhodes with the TNT championship. I'm going to defend every week. Who are you? Sign up. Line forms to the left. Let's go. Right. He gives that title prestige by doing it. I, I love seeing that. When, you, when a title's not defended for weeks, months, whatever, it's like, well, why bother with it? Why Why, why even bother having this title out here? Which WWE has done many times with many different titles over the years. But this is really elevating the IC belt a lot in this match. And, and overall, it's not a bad match. Um, like like you're saying for his knees, though, we see how years of tiny little things can create a big thing. Um, this is it, him taking that landing to his knees over and over again is like a river going through and forming the Grand Canyon. Every right. year, you know, once or twice, it doesn't seem like a big difference. But over time, we've created something here. Mero doing this, um, Nikki Bella with the Rack Attack move hitting her neck every single time is absolutely what led to her neck injury happening. And unfortunately, uh, I, would, I would be very happy if I never saw a diving headbutt in wrestling again, because anyone that has done that for a finisher does not have a good story to tell.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where you don't see it for a while, the diving headbutt, and I haven't missed it, you know? Right. I, it doesn't add anything over the top to, to the match, in my opinion, you know? I think the only time I remember it is when Benoit did the headbutt and they hit him with the bell.: Yep. it's, it, it's, it's frightening to think about. And we,
2: we all know an indie wrestler that was doing it for a while because he's a big dynamite kid fan right and everyone was like please don't do that right stop it It does look cool you do hit it well this is nothing against your skill this is we got people over here that their lives are ruined or other people around them have their lives ruined i'm treading lightly because of injuries related to this move please do not do this move
1: and the thing was, like, the, the the most notable, I mean, pre, I mean, this is 1980s, when Harley Race did that bump to, tried to do that bump to Hogan, I think it was on Saturday Night's Main Event, from the ring apron to the table, and just cracked through that table, and that table was a stiff table. It wasn't a working table. And it just the injuries that he had, and he, he was just never the same after that, and ended up pretty much for the most part, retiring from consistent ring in ring action. And everyone, and he, even Harley race said, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And unfortunately a few didn't listen.
0: Did you guys notice the, I think it was a camera on one of the turnbuckles in the bottom right corner. I think it was like the second turnbuckle. Um, there was, or maybe the top turnbuckle, there was like a little, it looked like a camera. Um, but I I noticed it in the second match. And then of course, throughout the the rest of the night, once you see it, it, it's like, you can't miss it. Um, but we didn't see any angles like that. Or do you think it was like a mic maybe, or camera that just didn't work? Did you guys notice that? Uh, Was that the same turnbuckle
1: that was you said bottom right when facing the hard when you're the fan facing the hard camera?
0: So when you're when you're looking, it's the bottom right corner, like from the hard cam bottom right corner. I think it's top turnbuckle.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the same turnbuckle that was in the Bret Hart match later on the night that was used. So
0: Hmm.
1: I never noticed it. I mean, they've done mics before. It could also have
2: been um, uh, a photograph one, not necessarily a video camera to get stuff too could be um but i mean they've they've always experimented with it and it seems uh, you know wcw had that that little platform a cameraman could sit or stand up on in a corner and then they could stand up on it and get their camera shots but you would always have you know someone rammed into the turnbuckle and get good angles on it and all could have been an experiment and they didn't like the angles um fast forward many years later before everything was shut down and, and Treats, you probably saw it better at some of the pay-per-views you went to. You had those cameras that were setting up a 360-degree um, recording of it. And then there was an app that was starting up that you could watch old shows from any angle you want and change the angle of it on the phone, like a, like an augmented reality thing for it. I'm way far off for this pay-per-view, of course. But there's always been like experiments with cameras and technology and everything. Say what you will for a lot of things in wrestling. But one of the best things was WWF having that deal with NBC getting Saturday Night's main event, and Vince saying, "I want everything we do to look that professional."
0: I just thought it was thought it was interesting because usually you see the uh, the the camera on the uh, the post, and this was literally under the turnbuckle, which is kind of odd to me. But uh, why don't we move on? Uh, Doc Hendricks interviewing Sid, uh, an educator. Did Sid mess up?
1: Uh, I don't think so on this one. I don't remember uh, there being a a spoof on it. Uh, I appreciated the fact that they ended up doing, uh, uh, during this interview, it was uh, showing from earlier in the day, the Sunday morning superstars live earlier in the day from the actual arena itself. So I know we had talked about, you know, they have superstar tapings that are done many, many weeks in advance. This was a cut from earlier in the day that they plugged in showing that brawl and again, a three-man brawl where initially it was Shawn Michaels trying to get into it with, with Sid, and then all of a sudden Bret Hart shows up and gets in the middle of the skirmish, and then Bret Hart's back is turned to Sid, and Sid starts to attack Bret instead and knocks him down. So trying to, uh, again, plant more seeds for the feud and, and the main event later on in the night. It, it really made me wonder
2: if that wasn't earlier that morning, but maybe a press tour a week beforehand or, or whatever to do that spot and pretend it was earlier in the day, because with superstars being that syndicated show, how are you editing that in and sending that signal to all of your markets, which are airing that syndicated show at different times
1: too. Right. That's true.
2: You know, so I'm wondering if like maybe they did a press thing at the arena a couple days beforehand filmed it, then edited it in because really it's, it's three wrestlers and the agents all in street clothes. I don't know if that's the street clothes they wore Sunday morning or Friday morning or whatever. I do appreciate seeing the outside of the arena because that outside comes into play in a later match. There's a there's a design choice on that arena that I enjoyed.
0: Yeah, the, uh, it's actually the next match. Um, so we get the Executioner versus Undertaker hype video. Um, just kind of recapping basically what happened, uh, at buried alive <laughs> and then kind of going into it. Um, and then we could go into the undertaker versus the executioner and, you know, it's going to be a barn burner of a match oh, when your executioner goes up the steps and a fan pulls his robe and he almost falls down. <laughs> it's not With good. The fan,
2: The educator.
0: No, without no, a doubt, it was it wasn't not. The, oh, once again, you work in the Sultan reference. Okay, we see it. We see it. Uh, educator, I, I know you had some thoughts on the Executioner and the uh, Undertaker match.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, Unfortunately, this match did not age very well at all.
0: Um, I, I thought it was... Qu- question. Qu- just a quick question for you. Did you think it was good back then? Because <sighs> mm. uh, usually when it ages well... You, you know, you, you, you would think that, oh, it got better or, oh, this, this does, this looks great still. And I, I don't remember anyone talking about this match to begin with.
1: Um, you know, it was meant to further on the storyline of undertaker against Paul bearer and, and mace, mostly mankind as we see the mankind interference and the calamity that that was later on in the match. Um, but no, so without a doubt, I, Certainly, uh, t- the person who played the executioner is Terry Bam Bam Gordy. For those who aren't or weren't aware, um, him coming to the ring uh, with the old Papa Shango music, I thought that was cool uh, for uh, his entrance music. Uh, but the the character Terry, or the executioner character played by Terry Gordy, unfortunately, this is not the same Terry Gordy. Uh, that I I hold in my heart, in in, my heart. and I'm familiar with uh, between his UWF run, between his fabulous freebirds in US uh, or uh, in USWA and uh, Mid South and World Class Championship Wrestling. This isn't even the Terry Gordy that was tagging with Dr. Death Steve Williams where they ended up, you know, having an amazing run in 92 in WCW and then eventually were like huge in Japan. Unfortunately, this is Terry Gordy who had suffered a pretty significant medical episode on a plane ride. Um, Basically, he had a form of a stroke and he lost a significant amount of cognitive function and cognitive ability. Uh, and he was unfortunately through this match. It was almost as if Undertaker was holding his hand, guiding him through this match. Um, I've listened to Jim Rodz's podcast regarding this. Was just essentially a favor to Terry Gordy, giving him a payday because you know, other than a short, maybe three or four week run that the Fabulous Freebirds had in like '84 in the WWF, uh, this was the only time that Terry Gordy was you know was in the WWF. Uh, probably also a favorite of Michael Hayes, who was a back on-stage uh, interviewer and was starting to build his backstage presence as a producer for the company. Um, you know, w- probably this was match was just more for really furthering the storyline between Mankind uh, and the Undertaker. You know, Mankind coming down to the ring uh, in his first uh, appearance in this match. Uh, We got Undertaker that is getting ready to give the executioner a tombstone pile driver onto the floor, had already pulled back the protective blue matting and had the concrete exposed. And all of a sudden we see in the background Mick Foley whipping around the corner. And man, does mankind trip hard and do a face plant and completely miss attacking the Undertaker. He ends up having to roll over on his side and grab Undertaker by the legs in order to try to save the spot that he just ate a hard one on the concrete floor. He tripped on the folded-up blue mats that were pulled aside. I kind of felt bad for it. Um, You know, I don't know if you guys noticed, was this the last time to your knowledge that the the physical in-your-house set, the entranceway and all that, was this the last time this set was used? Because it just seemed like, hey, let's see how much of a set we can destroy uh, in one match just to see what happens between Undertaker throwing McFoley Foley through what was the window, but it really was just a plastic like tarp to make it look like the main window to the set. And then we see Undertaker trying to clothesline the executioner uh, through one of the walls, but unfortunately just more or less pushes the set about two or three feet over to the side, but doesn't get it to topple over. Unfortunately, we see security, a bunch of gentlemen, and I don't know if they were indie wrestlers, Hellions, you can tell me, I don't know if you've figured it out or not, or if they were in fact legit security. <laughs> Uh, From this particular auditorium here in green shirts, they rush to the ring, they surround Foley, and in the process of going back and forth between the executioner uh, battling with the Undertaker and then cutting back to the ring, we all of a sudden we see uh, Nick Foley haphazardly tied up in a straight jacket. They don't even have the arms around the hips, how it should be tied. Instead, they got the arms over the shoulders. So if he really wanted to pull an arm over his head, he probably could have uh, to attempt to escape. Um, We see the Undertaker and and the Executioner brawl backstage. And then eventually we see a cutaway where they all go outside. And Hallions, I'm going to let you pick up the match from here in terms of your your favorite spot that we see suddenly uh, in the match with the Executioner. So you
2: you got the arena. Looking like a dome with one giant main entrance. There could be side ones. I don't know, but one like giant main entrance and then a nice little landscaped moat, pond, whatever you want to call it, with a fountain around it. And at that earlier today brawl that we saw earlier, you see this and it looks all nice and pretty. Why? Why and who had the bright idea to have Terry Gordy in his? mental state at this time roll down the outside of the building and splash into a body of water without someone there to immediately pull him out of it is beyond me i mean he looks lost in the ring putting him under water is not gonna make him any better i i'm in a mask in a mask too which could have been moved and, and lost his vision and all sorts of other things could have gone wrong. I got to imagine that was taped well in advance of that match. And as soon as the camera cut away, someone was there to get him. There's no way in hell that was a live feed during the show.
0: I don't know because he he does come out like soaking wet. (laughs) So it may have been, um, they would have had to tape it. What the night before? You could uh, just, just throw because, water on him. Well, no, I know, but I'm just saying they would have had to tape the night before. Um, Do you guys remember the darkness, there being a bunch of
1: fans outside with him? Because the I only remember seeing the camera cutting back to Terry Gordy rolling down this concrete hill and getting yeah. like and landing in the body of water. Like I don't even remember seeing Undertaker, maybe he was in the picture, but certainly like prior to this we see a whole bunch of fans dart outside through the same doors that undertaker and the executioner left through. And then all of a sudden we cut to this and we see the executioner rolling down the hill. So eventually undertaker comes back to the ring after this spot comes back through the entrance. What's left of the entrance gets into the ring and begins to attack Mick Foley, portraying the mankind character in the straight jacket and Foley's trying to fight back and is trying to run and is trying to dodge and then all of a sudden we just see the executioner just casually jogging down the ring to the ringside to get back into the ring, where Undertaker just proceeds to essentially clothesline him and then pick him up for the Tombstone pile driver. and we get the one, two, three. And what was different about this match is that this was labeled as an Armageddon Rules match, which was just basically uh, a... Uh, wwf way of saying a texas death match uh, and then now we more or less refer to these as more of a last man standing match uh, and essentially the the one the count one to ten and there was absolutely no movement from the executioner luckily this abomination was over as quickly as it could realistically have been um, this certainly did not do any favors to the undertaker and unfortunately, just exposed how in a rough shape Terry Gordy was because of that medical, the medical issue and medical history he had. It, it's it's such a non-threat
2: threat. Like, clearly he was brought in to be a new, you know, monster before they realize how limited he is, I guess. Like, did people not try out beforehand? It, you know, we, we got two glaring examples here in our in-your-house series of guys that were great at one point, and WWF brings them pe- out three. I'll say Waylon Mercy, Vader, and executioner here, Terry Gordy, that are not what they were years beforehand. Like, d- does no one do a tryout
1: match? Right. Does no
2: one see that you're not there anymore?
1: Honestly, oh. I, th- I mean, Terry Gordy had some decent matches earlier in the year in ECW. And I'm fairly confident that these matches that he had were prior to this medical episode that he had on a plane ride back from Japan. So they were probably assuming that he was able to still function and go. But this was not the UWF Terry Gordy battling the one-man gang that you know I certainly grew up and watched as well. When was, when was Duck and Gordy against the
2: Eliminators in ECW?
1: That was 90, early ninety six okay yeah
2: So like, like,
1: like february march 96 and i think he ended up having this stroke over the summer that same summer june july of 96 and
2: and that's not to say like oh he had a stroke why would anyone hire him or anything like that of course not but for the position he's in and to be trusted with someone else's body that you were wrestling with this is just a bad idea
1: yeah, and all it's around. it's a semi-main event too. So oh. it's but he, 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 it's like oh, here's
2: our big you know threat of the week, our big villain of the week, and it doesn't pan out, and you don't see it again. Like probably the best example for for you two, not being the comic key, I am, but like the Adam West Batman sixty six Joker's on a lot of episodes, Riddler's on a lot of episodes, but there's random one offs like an Egghead or something,
1: right, right,
2: King Todd, that. You know, show up once or twice and never again because they weren't the big threats you hoped they would be. Um, it's also, uh, I I'm enjoying seeing mankind as this character, as giving time to show all that he can do, instead of just being I'm the deathmatch guy. I'm the guy that takes a beating. I'm the guy that does disgusting things, and will. You know, light myself on fire and lose an ear and, you know, go through things and all. all I'm glad right. really this Mick Foley exists. I'm even happier with, you know, when the more comedic aspects are added to it. Talk about a way to lengthen one's career. I, I say this, and you two know, but for the viewing audience, I rewatched Strangle Mania in the past week, um, along with our podcast friends, Add with Wrestling, and to see the stuff done in it an educator you, you were mentioned earlier um when we were talking online that you remember watching this tape too but the cactus jack of those videos would not still be alive today no absolutely not <laughs> thankfully we got mankind along the way and and this star that he became in WWF and beloved and everything too like the, the guy I saw in those death matches wasn't going to write a book you know, he probably wasn't going to be able to hold a pen or, uh, in, or pencil the way he was going. Like, it was just it, the match is so bad. Mankind is such a highlight for it. Right. It no. Yeah. There.
0: Yeah. It almost turns it into a two on one Armageddon rules match.
2: I, I'd say a one on one and a half. Right.
0: Well, that's because Mankind has his arms tied. So,
2: yeah, that's why I'm at half. Yeah.
0: Andy gets maced by the security.
2: Oh, and and to go back, that security is absolutely indie wrestlers. There's no way that's real security. But
1: but if you then if we go into the next match and they do a bunch of crowd shots, there are those security like those guys that are at security with those green shirts. They are on the fan side of the barricades trying to do crowd control as well. So that's why it made me think.
2: Right. But like, okay, to go back to the, um, is this the last time they used the, in your house set, the WWF, uh, the convoy of trucks was not as big as it is now for the set and all the stuff that they bring show to show like that in your house set was one of the most elaborate sets they had. And it's for your B pay-per-views. Right you don't have to bring that set you got a lot more room that you can bring something else in one of the things they probably weren't bringing town to town was fake security shirts they might now but they probably didn't then i could see like oh hey we got to do this angle um person in charge of the arena do you have got like extra shirts we could right. throw some guys very very likely right like that would make more sense to me and hire some indie wrestlers that would know how to take a bump and but not how to put on a straight jacket right. might work better than taking actual security, removing them from their posts, letting them in on you know the secret of wrestling for what they got to do there.
0: Well, following that uh, epic, epic co-main event, <laughs> uh, we do get the Doc Hendricks speaking with uh, Bret Hart. And is it me or do we start seeing heel Bret Hart? I, I'm convinced this is the actual heel turn right here between
1: him flipping out over Shawn Michaels' music playing in the background. During his interview and going nuts on Michaels, and then the post-match scramble you know, brawl that they had, uh, and some of the heelish maneuvers we see mid- or in the match with Sid, uh, I, I I would say that this is it. They're definitely
0: starting to move forward with uh, heel turn Bret Hart without a doubt. So, qu- question real quick there for you, educator, um, with with heel Bret Hart sneaking in here in December. And of course, the original plans for 13 was Michael's Brett. Correct. Um, Was Michael's going to be the face and Brett the heel? Is that what they were going for? I
1: think that's what they were going for and was going to be a return of the favor the title being dropped the previous year and now back to Brett. Um, But then unfortunately, uh, someone lost their smile and didn't want to follow through on their part of their on their part of the deal and do the favor back and. Things changed and instead, you know what? I think we got a better feud out of uh with Steve Austin out of it in the long run. So and
2: and I mean, yeah, Sean was gonna be the face in that feud, but he wasn't gonna be clean white hat baby face. He's gonna have no. an edge to him, which his commentary in the next match proves beyond a doubt. Yep. Like, hey, I'm gonna have a little more edge to me. I'm gonna be You know, um, I'm not going to be Hogan. Well, not Hogan at this time, because I know what's going on. But, you know, I'm not going to be that train and say your prayers and eat your vitamins guy. I'm going to come out here. I'm going to slap hands with the fans. I'm going to be, you know, a good guy. But if you get in my way, I'm going to knock you down, too, though.
0: Yeah. And then that will lead right to uh, our main event, of course, is Bret Hart taking on Sid for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, What did you guys think of this match? Um, How has Sid been performing right now? I know uh, we've kind of had some hit and and misses with him where he seems motivated, he doesn't seem motivated in other uh, aspects, but he's the champ now. Is he motivated in this match?
1: I I think Sid was definitely motivated. Unfortunately, there was a pretty obvious botch in the match that happened and he ended up setting it right back up and doing it the right way again with Brett. Um, it'll, it'll, hard to follow the match because it's now a four man commentary team with Shawn Michaels being added to the mix, you know, going back to uh, mass Library's comments about Sean being edgy. You know, he, he talks about how Sid is an expensive piece of luggage oh, and God. they're like, what are you talking about? They didn't understand that. And then, And then he goes on to explain about how all the other superstars have to carry him through his matches and carry him through the ring. And without the superstars, he would be an absolute zero. So, yeah, Michaels is trying to throw as many barbs as he can. Um, Right at the start of the match, Bret Hart is doing a heelish maneuver. Sid's got his back turned. He still has the WWF title around his waist, and he immediately attacks Sid to start the match with his back turned. So this is certainly... I feel a heelish maneuver. Maybe it's payback for the uh, Saturday, sid- the Sunday morning superstars brawl skirmish where Sid attacked him and from behind. Who knows? Um, we see Shawn Michaels also tearing down Bret Hart during the match, talking about how vanilla he is, how Bret Hart is lacking emotion, and you know, hey, this is you know, you know, this is more of a you know reality thing that you know Bret needs to realize and understand. Um, We see Bret Hart, when the referee's back was turned, remove the turnbuckle pad. Uh, So starting again, laying the seeds of a a heel turn here. Um, Sid does a comeback and ends up slamming Bret off the top rope, off the top turnbuckle. Uh, we see a Steve Austin run-in again. We saw one earlier in the night where he chop-blocks uh, the British Bulldog during his post-match. Now he chop-blocks Brett, who is outside of the ring. And then we see kind of like a delayed run-in by Bulldog and Owen to try to, try to chase off uh, Austin. Maybe it's payback because of Austin attacking the Bulldog. Or are we starting to lay the seeds for what will be the end you know, the summer and the whole Hart foundation reunion and so on. Uh, the unfortunate botch of the match Sid tries to set up Brett Hart to do the snake eyes maneuver where he would drop the, your opponent's head across the turnbuckle and it would have been the exposed turnbuckle. And it was set up in a way where Brett was supposed to slip off of Sid's back and then would charge towards Sid, and then Sid would hit a drop toe hold and still cause Brett to fall into the top turnbuckle. Then he tried to do that, and unfortunately the drop toe hold caused Brett to drop too early. And Brett completely missed all three turnbuckles and just hit the corner gra- you know, corner canvas and to salvage it, Sid just set up the maneuver again immediately, you know, not a couple of extra fluff moves in the middle to try to get us to forget about what happened. He just immediately went back into that sequence again. And I just thought, unfortunately it just, it came off very terrible on TV, uh, the choke slam on the Brett Hart and got a two count from Sid. I I thought that was a really crisp looking choke slam. Brett Hart took that choke slam really, really well. Um, we end up getting a clothesline by Brett Hart onto Sid to knock everybody out onto the floor right in front of the commentary. We see Brett Hart trying to go after the chair, and Shawn Michaels is like, hey, go ahead. This is not my match, blah, blah, blah. You know, wanting Shawn to – or allowing Brett to take that chair. But instead, Sid gets up and ends up pie-facing Shawn Michaels and shoves him out of the way. Uh, he ends up throwing Brett back into the ring – and Michaels is frustrated at Sid doing the whole pie face, so he gets up on the apron and starts jaw jacking and pointing towards uh, Sid. And Sid ends up doing an Irish whip and uh, or reverses an Irish whip from Bret Hart and ends up slamming Bret Hart into Shawn Michaels. And we see Shawn Michaels fly off the apron. Towards the commentary desk. But on the replay. Do you guys see the replay where Sean. When he jumped off. Fell off the apron. Smashed his head against the chair. I thought that was a very interesting spot. So we get the skirmish of Brett. Being inadvertently thrown into Sean. Who's on the ringside apron. Knocking Sean down. And then. you know, Harmed from that. He turns around. And Sid just immediately gives him the powerbomb finish. One, two, three. And man the crowd erupted for that pinfall finish. And here we have Sid Vicious, uh, Psycho Sid, I should say, successfully defending the WWF Championship, beating Bret Hart in the ring one, two, three, and they've now set up the whole uh, Royal Rumble match rematch from Survivor Series. Now it's going to be Shawn Michaels versus Sid. Um, post-match melee, uh, Hellions, I'll give that to you to explain to the fans again the heelish nature of uh, of everybody starting to lay the more reality-based into the whole storyline. Well, and and that's the thing at the end.
2: I'll I'll double back after this for any other thoughts for it. But um, after Brett's pinned and Sid celebrates, Brett and Sean start fighting. Uh, Sean's on the outside still. Brett comes over. You're not quite sure what's going to happen for a moment, but then they start fighting. And this is Brett's infamous move, Canadian hockey fan, I don't know what, but Brett's infamous move of he pulls the shirt over of the guy he's going to fight with and starts landing punches. Now, what this does is now you got the other guy's vision impaired, his arms are tied up in the sleeves of the shirt, and Brett's getting in a lot of shots. He does this later in a storyline fight with Vince McMahon, later in 97, and when Brett and Vince... During the screw job incident, which is only a year away from this pay-per-view, which is ridiculous to think of, like how much is about to happen in a year. But that was one of the things that Vince saw coming is, oh, this is what Brett likes to do when he's in a fight, is this hockey jersey way of brawling to, to control the person you're fighting against. Uh, it's broken up, and then Shawn Michaels grabs a headset to just... Um, say how much you know to just threaten brett that he's going to come after him that they're going to you know fight him, that whatever and the fans are absolutely up in sean's face screaming at him and yelling but embracing sid like sid comes out of this the hero the the hogan of the whole thing really your giant blonde superstar and brett and sean both look like heels Neither of which is completely a heel right now either. There's heelish tendencies, Brett more so probably, but no, neither I would say is completely there yet. Brett doesn't full blown turn until the next year's Mania. sean has got his weird career path over the next few months, and, and and Sid is just you know as as much as we've enjoyed this return and the title run, it, it, his work gets out too. Like it, there's just so much stuff that's odd here on what direction we're going where the characters are going who's good who's bad we got you know two two heels or two heel teams in a match like this is just such a let's throw everything out there and see what the fans respond to time um back to uh my question about how close to seven feet do you have to be Geez, it is huge He looks bigger in this match than he's looked in anything else he's done. I don't know, you know, that we've done in our In Your House series. I don't know what it is here, but he just looks massive. Uh, Now, we didn't have our buddy Crone make an appearance on this uh, episode, even though we're talking Bret Hart. But I would like to ask him, and I kind of want to rewatch, or maybe in, you know, the next In Your House that we review next episode, does Bret really never hook the leg? Because as soon as Sean said that, I, I kept looking, and I really want to go back to other matches. There's no way Brett doesn't hook the leg. With, with as dedicated a, as a wrestler he is to the details. But maybe that's one of his details I never caught. Maybe he's like, oh, I'll just if it's just a regular move, I'll pin like this. It's more of a wear down your opponent because they got to expend energy to kick out at one or two. But if I really think I got him, I'll go for a th- I'll hook the leg. Plus, so much of it is not that he has a finishing move that would lead to a pin; it's that he's got the sharpshooter.
1: Right. right. Certainly, his small packages that he would do the inside cradles. I mean, he'd be hooking the mm-hmm. leg with a leg, but yeah, I, I, it's common knowledge that Brett would just lay across. He'd have both of his hands down on one opponent's arms and his body laying prone over the other arms. But yeah, he wouldn't be. He wouldn't hook the leg. Now that I think about it, that's so weird, though, for someone that's.
2: I mean, the details that Brett would put into matches, the subtle things he would do to add just a little bit more to the show. It's so weird that he wouldn't hook a leg.
0: See, Kevin, just goes to show you uh, what you can learn if you scout your opponent by watching no, tape. Damn you. <laughs> Thank you, Shawn Michaels <laughs> for doing that. So Well
2: played. Damn you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd do what I could. Did you have more?
2: Uh, no uh, like i i enjoyed the heck out of it i've been impressed with sid i love where the brett sean stuff's going like we said it was supposed to be brett sean at mania which did not happen um it honestly like seeing the the players fall in place it makes me super excited for the next one that we're gonna watch and just see how you know how things are changing drastically in wwf at the time right like what i i I wish I remembered more of us getting together, watching these shows, talking about the, the next day. I almost wish we had things like, you know, Facebook and text messages and stuff like that, because we would have been going nuts constantly. Oh, without a doubt. Era and all the crazy things happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun times, especially with, of course, uh, WCW going on and really doing the Monday Night Wars. I mean, yeah, it's... It, It's weird too, because obviously Wednesday nights now is like the night for the Wednesday night wars, if you, if you will. Um, and you got NXT and AEW, uh, both great shows, but with the technology now, I mean, you're not, you're not switching over and doing anything like that. I mean, you, you could watch, uh, I tend to watch two streams at once. I focus more on, uh, AEW, and then I watch NXT when it's on the network again, if there was something that really stuck out, in my opinion.
2: I mean, also, also with guaranteed contracts, we don't have the surprises of people showing up. Like, if they didn't have guaranteed contracts right now, and you could have you know a random person that was on NXT last week showing up on AEW this week, that would blow everyone's right. mind. But between, right. um, you know, look at... I think the best, most recent example was, thankfully, we were all surprised when Edge returned at the 2020 Royal Rumble, but MVP's reappearance or return was spoiled because some fan on the outside caught video of his entrance video of them testing out the graphics. You know, like so much stuff is ruined right now. And granted, we had the internet, you know, and and more dirt sheets and explosion, everything at this point, but not to the spoiler level we're at now.
0: Yeah, it was a, I thought it was a fun match personally. So, uh, any last thoughts on the pay per view, guys? Um, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it all. I didn't think anything. I mean, no matches really stick out. Best match of the night. What do you What do you guys think the best match of the pay per view? was?
1: Probably the main event. My, I would say, but certainly I don't. Nothing that would scrape our our top five list.
2: Yeah, nothing in top five. Brett Sid, I would say, was best of the night. I would say that Marrow um, and Triple H was a very good match as well. And uh, of course, uh, Executioner and Undertaker is uh, Matt Classic.
0: <laughs> the Executioner. They call him the Executioner of Excellence. So. <laughs> No, they do not. <laughs> uh, oh, and by the way, guys, I just I just want to point out, of course, on the card we had what, five matches? Yeah. It was shit. and how many how many run-ins did we have? Oh gosh. Practically every match had a run-in, didn't it? Yeah. Uh the only one that didn't was the first match. Every other match had something going on. So. Um, why don't we go ahead and rank uh in your house uh its time. Of course, this is the twelfth in your house we watch um does it crack our top three do you think
1: no 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 way
0: no okay is it in the bottom three um i
1: don't i don't think it would be in the bottom three you want to remind us what our bottom three are as we uh
0: so it's buried alive is number nine lumberjacks is number two and then good friends better enemies is still the worst pay-per-view but with the best match
1: i don't think it would crack the bottom three, uh, middle of the road, pay-per-view, maybe, maybe bottom, yeah. bottom third, but not certainly not at the bare bones
0: bottom. Okay. We'll, we'll start. Uh, is it better than beware of dog?
1: Yes. I'd say it would be better than beware of dog.
0: Okay. Is it better than great white North? No, no, no.
2: I firmly say that's where it lands.
0: That's about right there. All right, so it's going to be seventh. then. No. Eighth. Excuse me. It's eighth. I can't yeah. do math. Uh, which I which I think's fair. I mean, I, I don't think there was anything horrible on it, but there wasn't anything that stands out. It's just middle of the road. It's just there. All right.
2: I I, I didn't feel like I wasted my time. If I ordered it or had bought a VHS, I wouldn't have felt like I wasted my money. But I also wouldn't feel like I need to, you know, call up either of you and go, oh my God, you gotta watch this.
1: At this point, I believe the pay-per-views were still the two hour shows that were 1495. Maybe they got bumped to 1995 at this point. I know it's going to be almost an, a year. It'll be right after SummerSlam where they end up going to a three hour format. But um, for a 1495 price point, uh, certainly would be worth it. Might be pushing it for a 1995 price point, but yeah, I mean it was it was an okay show. Certainly not at the absolute b- bottom.
0: So I guess next uh, next week uh, we're going to be looking at in your house 13 the final four and of course we've been kind of talking about you know all these kind of storylines intertwining of course the main event is going to be the Undertaker taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Bret Hart taking on Vader so Vader makes his return on our next show and of course in between that will be Royal Rumble uh, 97 so something to look forward to All right. uh, Educator of excellence. It looks like you've lit candles in your bedroom, Oh the way. Did you? No,
1: just a regular light, man.
0: Oh, just a regular light? Clap on, clap off. Actually, no, there are some candles in the background that are in
1: the window so
0: that we have the ambiance from outdoors. You're right. You know, there is one thing you know how to do, and that's set a mood. So why don't you set a mood for us to to, uh, take off?
1: All right. Just want to say thank you again to the Retro Network for hosting our podcast. Certainly a huge thank you to anyone that is listening to our show. We certainly uh, love and appreciate any feedback you want to give us uh, in regards to the direction of our show and um, maybe future uh, titles. But once we go beyond the In Your House series, things that we might consider doing. Uh, certainly if you have not had the opportunity to do so, please go to theretronetwork.com. They have such amazing content. Uh, I cannot uh, stress this enough. I uh, find myself always on my phone perusing through uh, articles they have as well as listening to other podcasts that they have. So please, please, please uh, go check out theretronetwork.com. You will certainly, certainly find something there uh, to keep your interest peaked.
0: Yeah, and of course, I just want to thank you guys for joining us this week. Uh, you can find me at Matty Treats on the Twitters. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy doing this with you guys. Uh, like Matt was saying, the Retro Network podcast. I use them for my commutes to work, where the Mass Library uses them in the boudoir, the bedroom. <laughs> so, how does Sequel Quest make for some good? Uh, loving music Kevin oh
2: well that's that's more thanks to uh, Adam he has a very uh, ASMR soothing voice let's get into the movie
0: all right um, so Kevin uh, why don't you go to the climax or take us home
2: All <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, again thank you to the Rector Network thank you WWE Network for these videos that we're watching Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. Thank you to my two wonderful co-hosts here. You can find me across the internet and my own blog. It is all asked at Masked Library. You can find The House Show across social media at T R N House Show. You can find Matt at Maddie Treats. You can find The Educator wherever there are candles in the window. And you can find me studying tape but putting another tape in front of that tape so that I don't know what time it is
0: it's time I've only studied one wrestling tape in my life sunny sunny side up <laughs> gosh